the Social Studies Teachers Toolbox. Um, my name is Erin LaRue. I teach fifth grade right now at Crown Point Christian School in Northwest Indiana. Um, I have, this is my 12th year of teaching. I've taught social studies my entire teaching career in one form or fashion. Uh, for three years I taught third grade in the Washington DC area. That's a great place to teach social studies because you can get on a bus and head into DC and all the Smithsonian museums are free. It gave me a lot of really great ideas that I still build on today. Um, then I taught for a year, uh, fifth grade, out in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then um, ended up back at my old school in Virginia for a year teaching K through five Spanish, K through second computers, and seventh and eighth grade history. So I was jack of all trades that year. So I have done a little bit of elementary, a little bit of middle school, social studies. Um, so that's kind of my background and area so that you know, although I do feel like the principles behind teaching social studies creatively are overarching and you can adapt them to any grade, any class. Um, I made a bit.ly link to today's presentation because so much of it is just photographs and ideas that either I have done or other teachers that I've taught with have done and so that way you can access that at any point. And um, my email is also up there. I'll put it back up at the end of the presentation also. Um, in case you have any specific questions, I mean, you can feel free to ask today, but um, if you want more detailed explanations on something or a copy of something that you see, I'm happy to share what I have. All right. So as I'm preparing for this presentation, I'm like, I don't know. There are probably going to be a lot of people sitting in there who have taught social studies longer than I have. I don't know if I have anything that's really worth sharing. And the other day I was grading social studies tests and found this on the back of a social studies test. Thanks for teaching me and making social studies so much fun. So I thought, well, whatever I have to offer, the kids do enjoy it, and so I'm just going to share that. And if there's even a piece or two of this that you can take back to your classroom, or maybe even just a little enthusiasm for social studies, it will go a long way. So what if you don't like social studies? <laughs> well, then I'm so glad that you're here. The truth is that we all have individual wheelhouses, and for some of us, it's social studies, for some it's science, for others it's math, or a particular part of language arts. Um, so here's my advice. Find an area of social studies that you connect with, even if it's not part of your curriculum. Find something about history, geography, something that you love and can be passionate about, because it really is enthusiasm that is catching. Be honest with your class about it. For me, it's science. Science is not in my wheelhouse, it scares me. For five of the 12 years that I taught, I had to teach science, and I was honest with my class, and I found other teachers in my building who were good at science, and I used them. I would say, I'm teaching this, what do you have, what suggestions do you have, especially because if you're finding someone in another grade level, chances are good that they're not teaching the exact same thing, but they may have ideas on how you could teach that. So use your resources, use the people around you. Begin with a plan. So over the summer, I take some time and I make some long range plans. It's tedious and it's not the most fun part of teaching for me, but it is so worth it. What I do, in particular to social studies, I take my curriculum and I take my state standards. And I take a look at what are the concepts that I absolutely have to hit this year. Break it down into units. 
Some of them fit neatly into my curriculum. Honestly, some of them don't. Some of them, um, my curriculum doesn't hit very well, and I like to do something completely different. So I take a look at that, and then I figure out how many days I have to teach. And, and sometimes it amounts to how much time you have to teach, because a lot of times social studies is not a, a subject that is taught every day. In my um, situation, my fifth graders get social studies three times a week for 45 minutes. So I take that into account that really I'm only teaching three classes every week. Um, and then I break it down. I take all of our school days and figure out where our breaks are, what makes the most sense with units, because I don't want to be in the middle of a unit over, say, Christmas break or spring break. I want it to kind of fit neatly. So I take a look at how that's all going to work out. That really helps me because when you know where your end is, you kind of know how long you have to be creative and draw it out. So I start with a plan like this. Um, and then find a system that works for you for storing your materials. It's taken me 12 years, but I finally found something that I think works for me for now. And some of it involves the binders in the middle and keeping um, papers that are student copies that I will copy. But for my bigger units, you can see in the picture on the left, Native Americans, um, American Revolution, Explorers, I just have tubs in my cabinet. I just throw everything in there, books that go along with it, student examples, anything that goes with that unit I throw into the tub, or smaller tubs, bottom right, um, for some of my shorter units. But whatever it is, find something that works for you. File cabinets didn't work for me because I didn't like to file things. So I needed something where I would be able to just stick it in the drawer, and it worked for me. Avoid the internet overwhelm. In this day and age, it's a blessing and a curse that we have Pinterest, and we have teachers pay teachers, and you can say, oh, I'm going to be teaching about explorers, and get onto Pinterest, and two hours later, you have a whole board saved, but you don't really know yet what you're going to use or if any of it is actually going to work. So I have begun to do this for my own sanity. I decide what is my time and money, which, which is worth more to me. So I set a timer. I decide, OK, it's worth it to me to spend an hour searching for a resource for this unit. And then I will set a timer. And I will look for the resources. I keep them open in my internet browser when I find them. And when that timer goes off, I look back through the ones that I have saved, and I pick one. Or if I decide, nope, it doesn't work, then I've only spent an hour, and now I can really focus more time on actually creating something that will work for my classroom instead of spending three hours looking and then feeling frustrated that I have to spend two hours now on top of that creating something that will work for me. Um, choose one thing per unit that you are going to focus on improving this year because over the course of the next few years, that will build. And sometimes as you get going, when you improve one thing, then an idea will strike and suddenly you've improved three things in one year without putting forth too much effort. As often as you can when you're teaching social studies, make personal connections to what's being taught. Um, I happen to love to travel, and that helps me. But even if you don't, if you can find specific things. So when I'm teaching my class about the Mayans and I show them a picture of me standing in the Mayan ruins in Honduras, Suddenly, they're interested in all the other pictures I have to show them, even if they're not mine that I took when I was there. It makes a personal connection, and it engages their interest. Um, don't hesitate.
hesitate to get kids up and moving for social studies. I like to occasionally use the textbook. And when I occasionally use the textbook, one of my favorite things to use that fits neatly within social studies oftentimes is expert groups. A common um, term is the jigsaw method where you divide the kids into groups. I'm, I'm really saying nothing profound today, but maybe something will like, be like, oh yes, I should do that with this unit. Um, and so I just split them into groups. So let's say the Native Americans that we study by regions. I assign a region to each particular group. Tell them the overarching things that they are looking for. We end up creating a process grid. This one's not for Native Americans, it's for the 13 colonies, but it's the same concept. So if I'm going to assign Rhode Island to this group, Massachusetts to that group, each group is looking for the reasons that it was founded, geographic features, government, economy, interesting facts. Then, after they've compiled their research, they're responsible, I make new groups, a one, a two, a three, and a four, they all come together. Now they're responsible to teach what they've learned to the other people in their group. In so doing, they have to take responsibility for the things that they are learning because they have to teach it to someone else. And then we work together to compile a class process grid um, that compiles all that information. This works really well for standards like, um, like these with the colonies where they need to know middle colonies, southern colonies, New England colonies, what makes each um, unique and the different, and be able to compare and contrast, it's really good for being able to do that. Um, but where they don't need to necessarily know the nitty gritty details of each one to memorize, because that gets overwhelming. Um, so here's one for lower grades that a, a colleague of mine did with community helpers. And being able to even put pictures on that process grid where they had different community helpers that they were assigned to, but again, they're looking for what they do, where they work, tools and uniform for all of those things. Never too old for centers, in my opinion. Even middle school and high schoolers, they like to be able to move around the room. It makes the time go faster. I mean, I'm always reminded when we come to conventions of how much I don't like to sit in one place all day long. And so being able to get them moving around. So in this particular situation, um, it's an explorer unit that I just finished teaching. So I had one group that was doing a map activity in one area of the classroom. Another one was putting together words that fit clues like Northwest Passage. And they had, um, I bought it on Teachers Pay Teachers. I don't make everything myself, but it was one of those resources that I found and thought, yes, this could work and it could work well in centers. So that's how I used that. Comparative input charts. Um, this is really just a pictorial version of a Venn diagram. So you, you know, whatever your two items are that you are comparing and contrasting, in this case, it's um, a Minuteman and a red coat. And then being able to process those things together as a class. I think there's a lot of power in writing things on charts in front of students because if we do it on the whiteboard or we do it on a computer, what happens when we're done with the lesson? It's erased, it's gone. But when you make something that's on a chart that is there for them to use, it's amazing to me how 
the students, even when I'm giving a test or we're doing an assignment and I've taken the chart down, so many of the students, they'll still look at the spot on the wall where that chart was hanging because that's how their mind is processing that information. It really does help in a, in a way, I'm all for technology, but in a way that technology really can't foster. So I am still a big believer in making charts and hanging things on the wall. Likewise, maps. Being able, I, I'll do the outline ahead of time using a projector, um, but other than that, all of the pictures and things that are added, we do together as a class so that they're able to process where all of these things are going. The yellow sticky notes are their vocabulary words, so as we go over them, they just go right on top of where they were the first time, but it helps reiterate those words. Um, here's one for the, the colonies again. One for specifically the Massachusetts Bay Colony where we talk specifically about the different buildings in the town. And so again, having it sketched before you start but really building on it. Their brains, the way that, um, that they're seeing this and seeing it built, it's really going to help them in remembering. Plus it gives them something to look at and engage with while you're teaching. Timelines. Um, in this particular case, these uh, were my students in Virginia, and they were creating timelines on like receipt rolls. And then I had pictures that were printed out that they could glue and then write the dates. So having them create their own timelines, that could, I mean, if you don't have access to receipt rolls, even just strips of butcher paper or sentence strips or something like that that can allow them. Because one of the things that kids struggle with, I mean, even I struggle with it sometimes, is really seeing where in history all of these things fit in relation to other times in history and where we are now. Bring in an expert. Last year we were learning about um, Chinese history, Chinese New Year. I had a girl in my class who uh, was adopted from China and her dad knows Chinese and I invited him to come in. Use the people around you, and sometimes that's as easy as sending out a survey to parents in, of the students in your class to find out if there's anything that they are experts in um, and would be willing to come and share with the class. So he came and did a lesson about Chinese New Year and the Chinese language and taught them how to write a few things and speak a few things, and it's highly engaging for the students. It's interesting to me as well, and it involves other people around them. If you can't bring in an expert, video call with an expert. Um, in this case, uh, my brother-in-law happens to be an archaeologist, and so we, but he lives in Texas, so my class Skyped with him one day, and we just prepared. I told them we were going to Skype with an archaeologist. What are the questions that you have? Each group had to come up with a question, and you know, nominate a spokesperson who would go up to the computer and ask the question. So it was still interactive, um, but he couldn't come actually to our classroom. So um, video call with an expert, and if you have trouble finding experts, online. Online you can find all, almost anybody. And um, I'm a member of like four different Facebook, group, Facebook groups that are for upper elementary or fifth grade specific. And anytime I have a question about anything really, I'll just type it on there and you'd be amazed how many responses that you can get to that. So if you're looking for someone, 
you might just like throw it out there and someone might know someone who would be willing to speak to your class about something you are studying. Um, this is one that I have not done myself, but I have friends who have done it. It's called Mystery Skype. If you, um, I believe that Skype took down their actual original website for this, but Laura Candler has a website um, where she explains some things about the Mystery Skype game. And if you just look on Twitter, hashtag Mystery Skype, or Google search Mystery Skype, there are classrooms that for geography, you can, you just have to hide your location on Skype, but you can Skype with another class and play 20 questions and try and figure out where they are and they are trying to figure out where you are. And so it's a really fun way to be able to learn geography because then you can actually talk, you know, you can actually be Skyping with a class that out their window are these giant mountains, you know, and here we are in black Indiana. So um, it's a really cool way to engage uh, your class in something like that. I recently read a book called The Wild Card, which I recommend, by Hope and Wade King. And one of the things that they say is, to meet your scholastic goals, engagement must be paired with academic rigor. There are two basic rules of rigor. Rule one, go for application instead of memorization. Rule two, no student becomes invisible. Everyone is accountable. Highly recommend this book. Um, and so I'm really going to talk about that, application instead of memorization, everyone being involved in the process of learning. Being mindful of food allergies, everyone loves using food for learning. So I enjoy, when I can, making uh, geographical features with food items. Uh, you can incorporate food from other cultures. When I taught third grade, we did a Christmas Around the World project, and each student was assigned to a country, and in addition to presenting about Christmas in that culture, they could bring in a food that went along with that, and that's always a big hit. Um, food from specific places, I'll show my state project in a little while, but one of the things that I ask that the students do is bring a food, just a taste of the state, something that is grown, manufactured, or popular in that state. So there are a lot of ways that you can incorporate food into your learning if that's permitted at your school. Higher level thinking skills. Get those kids involved working in groups with each other. This is um, a rewritten preamble to the Constitution that my friend Candy did with her fourth grade class um, when they were learning about the preamble. And they rewrote it, in order to form a God-centered class, we will establish Christianity ensure servanthood, provide for each other, promote Christ and the gospel, and secure friendships. So in order to do this, they had to really grasp what the preamble to our country's you know, constitution was and able to, to really turn that around to, okay, well, what are the things that would be most important to our class? So um, personal application, paraphrasing, and rewriting for another purpose are ways to really elevate to higher level thinking and they're applying this rather than just memorizing. I like to do simulations. This is one I recently finished with my class. Scholastic has a few that are really good. Um, <clears throat> one on explorers, one on the Civil War, pioneers, the American Revolution, but the explorer one is my favorite. And first I do just a general 
lessons about explorers, we learn about Christopher Columbus. We learn about the major explorers that they need to know about, some background. And then I split them into groups, and they are on a ship. And on their ship, each of them has a job. One might be the helmsman, one might be the navigator, um, one might be the surgeon. And so um, as we go through our simulation, different things happen. It's way dramatic, but it gives them an idea of what life as an explorer might have been. So on their ship, well, before they get on their ship, they have to go to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, and they have to ask for a charter. And they have to ask for ships and, um, and money to go on their journey, and they have to decide if they're going to go with what they're offered in Spain or go over to Portugal. And um, when they decide, okay, I'm going to go to Portugal. No, I don't like that. I'm going to go back to Spain. Well, then they have to just, um, you can use a spinner, or I use dice, and they have to roll, and depending on what they get, the king either says, yes, I'll give you what you want, or no, you're going to have a worship now. Um, and so they really get involved in this. So here's, I, I have several journals um, that they write, and I asked them to please decorate the front to reflect what happened to them as an explorer on this trip. Um, he has scurvy. Okay. Um, the, also scurvy. Teeth are falling out. Um, this student was eaten by a shark. There are legs hanging out there. Eaten by a shark. So um, as they journal, they have to ref reflect on what has happened to them as an explorer. It's fun for me to read these, and the other day, one of the moms told me that my class has been playing this at recess, oh. which, I mean, that just tells you they're engaged and they're interested, but here's one journal entry, June 1495. Today I'm going to Spain to ask for a royal charter. The king said no, but right when I was about to leave, Queen Isabella said, why not? So we took the royal charter. I'm the, oh, I always say this wrong, Botson. My husband's in navigation, so he corrects me. We have a very bad crew. They're criminals and maybe even murderers. We also do not have the ship that we were expecting, but our supplies are good and our maps because Christopher Columbus. Okay, so they're processing and I'm seeing, okay, they understand what it was to go ask for a charter. They're understanding that in Spain, the king would say, yes, you could have a crew, but I'm sending prisoners with you, and their sentences will be erased. So I can begin to see their level of understanding as they're journaling. Um, another sort of simulation that we've done that has to do with the American Revolution, and um, this is from Young Teacher Love um, on her blog. She has these resources for free, but basically you do it with um, gummy bears or with M&Ms or Skittles, and the whole idea behind it is the king is saying, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and the kids have a certain amount to begin with, and they're having to give it all to the king, and they start to realize, hey, that's really not fair, and I don't think I like that, to really kind of get them to empathize with what the colonists might have felt um, during the time that the king was said, you know, giving all those acts, the stamp act, and all of those things. Um, Stock market. Economics is another fun one to be able to do simulations. There's a lot of different ways to do that. I've had a mini economy in my classroom before that really helps with um, teaching them about the value of money and we've held um, a kind of a store fair in our classroom where they had to come up with a product to sell or a game that people had to pay for a certain price. 
Um, and that's a really fun way to be able to teach about economics. Um, we've done, I've done um, a section where we talked about uh, the Great Depression. I think I have a few more slides on that later. But even the stock market, um, and what I like to do there is, the, so I would just put up day one, so the 10, 5, 5, and 10, and then allow students, I give them $100 in play money, and they can buy stock. And then I tell them the next day when they come in, they can either keep what they have, or they can trade it in, buy more. So the next day when they come in, they see the next numbers up, 20, 10, 15, 10, and they have to make a decision. Are they going to keep what they have? Are they going to um, trade it in? And I, I do, if they're going to sell their stock, I make them do that before I pay them the difference. Otherwise, you do it twice. And so um, each day they come in and they're very excited to see what, what are the new numbers. The last day I put up all zeros. <laughs> and they come in and they're like, it crashed. I'm just kidding, then I take it down and put up the real numbers. And whichever student has the most at the end wins. And so that's just a really fun way for them to, at a, an elementary level, understand what's happening with the stock market. Um, another thing that I like to do, pack your bags, it's time to travel. I wish that I could actually take my class places, and I tell them all the time I wish that there was magic school bus and that I was Miss Brizzle, but I'm not. <laughs> And so um, one of the things in fifth grade is they learn states and capitals. They learn about the regions of the United States. But truly, you could do this with anything geographical. Um, and so we have a place that we're going. And I have a scavenger hunt that they start with where they have specific questions about what mountain region is in this area. And they have to look at the maps and the atlases and how there's math incorporated into it, the distance between certain cities, and what would be the best route to get from here to there, and so really engaging them in that, they love it. Um, and then I have some Prezi presentations that I've put together that are just tours, and we just go on a tour, and I show them all kinds of things, and then we'll have a background picture, and I'll ask a couple students to stand up in front of the Golden Gate Bridge and take their picture. <laughs> look, you were there. They sometimes make postcards from places. And those are just really fun ways. Here's Lombard Street, where they can be there, but they're not actually there. And then sometimes students will say, oh, I have been there. And I'll say, please send a picture if your mom has one that, um, that we can see. And um, these <clears throat> are scrapbook pages. There's one for each region. I took them off Beth Newingham's site. And um, so as we go on our tour, they need to pick something specific about each place to illustrate and just write a couple of sentences about for their scrapbook. And that's one way that they can be engaged in it. And I can also check to be sure that they are understanding the most important parts about each place. Um, another thing that I like to do on occasion is just use some fun videos. Be very purposeful about the videos, because if you start over-videoing the kids, it's not fun anymore. But this is one where he draws every state, and it's catchy, and we sing it at least once a week, but the kids beg for it. I start singing it in my dreams, but the kids love it. So find certain videos that, because music is powerful, and it goes through the states and capitals. Thank <laughs> you.
one or two units that you teach and create a learning explosion. There, this is just what I call it, a learning explosion. You could probably call it a bunch of different things. Um, a few things that I think make it a learning explosion. It's cross-curricular, so you're incorporating other subjects too. Um, it could be one full day, it could be a full week. I've done both. And it's experiential or immersive in some form or fashion. So here are some examples of some. When I taught third grade, we taught the Civil War. So even just having a large um, picture of Abe on the wall where they could see how tall he was and they could measure themselves against him, a map activity that had to do, so the geography of it, which states were northern, which states were southern, which were not a part of it at that time. Um, I mean, the sillier, the better. And yes, with elementary, but I think even more so with middle school and high school, truthfully. Um, Lincoln wore size 14 shoes. Compare your shoe size to his. And so the kinds of things that really stick out, I think back to my elementary school years and what are the social studies lessons that I remember. They were the ones that really took me somewhere, even though they didn't. Um, I grew up in California and we did in fourth grade state history, Gold Rush, we did a simulation where we had to stake our claims. I still remember that um, in my 30s. And so it's, it's really fun to be able to create these things because I know that these kinds of things will stick with them. Being able to create Abe's top hat and then you'll see around the plate they had to write words that they associated with uh, Abraham Lincoln. So you'll see Gettysburg Address and President and Honest and so they're having to use that in the process. Um, science. So it's Maybe a little loose, but the kids love it. Abraham Lincoln's on a penny. So we did an experiment. What cleans the penny the best? They had to come up with a hypothesis, test it. So we're incorporating science as we're studying the Civil War. Incorporating math. They're having to find distances between battlefields and look up statistics about how many soldiers were injured or died in certain places. So again, it's cross-curricular. Um, usually when we would do the Civil War, it would be just because of specials and everything else, about half of our day for about a week, where we would, and I'd work with the other third grade teachers that I worked with, and we would even switch classes so that it took some of the burden off where I was doing the penny experiment every time, and a coworker was doing um, a letter to President Lincoln. If, if they lived during that time, what would they write to President Lincoln? And so those kinds of things that you can begin to make it um, immersive. Here's one for um, geography where it's travel. So um, Monday they're going to Peru, Tuesday France, Wednesday South Africa, um, and so Thursday China, Friday Australia. They're taking one day. I think this was this was my first grade um, teacher friend Rebecca who was doing this one, um, and so a passport to learning. And they had little passports and little suitcases that they could take and carry all of their things. Um, my fifth grade class one year did um, Japan. And so we made sushi rolls out of Rice Krispies and gummy worms on the inside and fruit roll-ups on the outside. It's, it's little things, but they love it and they remember it. Um, at this particular school, every class did a country prior to our field day. And then all of the classes would make shirts. So here, here again, it's as easy as masking tape on the floor, but suddenly they're in an airplane. And sometimes I think we 
underestimate kids' imaginations because they really, even, even my fifth graders, they love to imagine, I don't have to do anything to my classroom when I'm teaching about explorers, but they're suddenly on the boat and they're excited. And, and so really, something as simple as a masking tape airplane on the floor is transformative and really engages their imagination in a way that sitting at a desk reading a book doesn't. Um, so they would design t-shirts for each country. We'd have a big assembly where they'd carry in the flags. And then we would do field day. And we'd do field day by country. And it just, it was really quite fun. So each class is learning about a specific area. Um, and so that was a really fun way to do it. Um, the sixth graders at my old school did a whole study on um, the medieval age. And so each of them would do a presentation, but they would dress up like it. And there is power even in that, in dressing up. I remember dressing up as Florence Nightingale when I gave a report in fourth grade. So those are the kinds of things that do stick with kids. Um, simple transformations that take a little bit of time and effort and maybe a little money, but um, I mean, creating a drawbridge for the classroom. Suddenly they're in another place because their imagination can take them there and it's just fun. One of my favorite things to teach is election day. And so I always make it a really, a pretty big deal and um, it's fun for us, but I do Coke versus Pepsi in my classroom and then the kids have to uh, debate. They have to write debates on which they like best. So on the picture on the left, those are two girls who are debating um, Coke versus Pepsi. I love the picture book Grace for President. I think it does a really great job. And I taught this to seventh and eighth graders that year that I was teaching social studies and they loved it. They love to be read to. So I read them Grace for President. It's a picture book that teaches about the electoral college in a really simple to understand way. It's great. And then I assign each student a state and we talk about how many electoral votes that state has and then they cast their ballots. And I throw fun things on there too, like facial wipes, do you prefer Kleenex or puffs? And which meal do you prefer, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Um, dogs or cats? Which season? And so um, for this particular one, it was a presidential election, so we had um, our presidential candidates on the ballot up there. And then I just have cup one and cup two because I don't want them to be jaded going into it. So they have to taste cup one, taste <coughs> cup two, and then vote. And it's always fun to see some of them are surprised at what they voted for in the end because they don't think that that's what they were tasting. Um, I use the website 270 to win. So when you pull it up, it will show you this is, you know, what they're projecting for the 2020 election already. But there's a way, if you click on reset map, there's a way to make it all gray. And then when you click on a state, it turns red, and then double click, it turns blue. And so up at the top, you'll see where it says Democrat, Republican, so in our case, Pepsi, Coke and it tallies the electoral vote for them to be able to see. And that's always fun. I do kind of rig it when I'm pulling the states and seeing, you know, if I pull the ballot and I see it, because I want it to be as close as possible until we get to the end, even if it really is a landslide, it's more exciting that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just bulletin boards and things in the classroom that 
the kids can refer to, but also it's a simple way to kind of highlight what you're currently studying or learning about. Um, this is my friend Rebecca, and for her class, it's it really, I mean, yes, she has her little costume on, but she took four pieces of cardboard and made it the Mayflower. It's not hard, really, to do classroom <laughs> transformations sometimes. And again, with their imagination, suddenly they're on board, and she used her projector, paid the sea, and it's fun to see their learning in those situations. Um, she did also a TP. I haven't quite figured out how she did that yet. I've tried. Mm -hmm. yeah, mine hasn't stayed, but I think it's PVC pipe that she used and then just brown paper. Um, but it is really quite fun. This is um, teaching about the Great Depression, FDR's fireside chats, and so creating a little fireplace and being able to gather the kids around. And, um, and on the door, um, withdrawal, sorry, no cash, and then just things that you put up that, again, it's, it takes a little time and a little bit of preparation, but it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And it can just be images that you find on Google that you print out and um, put up. I don't even laminate things most of the time. Um, learning about colonies. So the kids can become a colonist. In this particular instance, they each had a job, an occupation from the colony that they had to learn and present about. Um, they did candles. They made their own candles, dipping them in wax. It's messy but fun. Made their own um, corn husk dolls that they could um, take home with them. They did presentations. So you'll see on the left there, presenting about being an apothecary, about an apothecary and the different kinds of things. Or here, a cobbler fixing shoes. Here's one of my students dressed up. <laughs> As, the, as one of the colonists. Um, playing games, like the colonist children would play. Not hard, masking tape and marbles. And they were very entertained for quite a while. And then you, just like with my fifth graders playing on the playground, these kids still wanted to, this was a game that then they wanted to keep playing. Um, hula hoops and sticks outside. Um, colonial nine, square quilts, so just scrapbook paper that they created. So then projects and assessments. This is one of my favorite things about social studies is that you don't have to give a test every time. Sometimes there are units where you really want to know paper and pencil, what do you know about this? Um, but it lends itself so well to projects and assessments. So one of the things that, um, that I've begun to do is give them some choices. This is my exploration cafe. And it's a menu. And so they have to do the main dish in the middle, which in this case they have to take two explorers and they have to compare and contrast them in an essay and a Venn diagram. And they have to include the, the explorer's sponsored country, motivation for exploring, <coughs> their achievements, and their routes of exploration. And honestly, those four things are everywhere on this menu. They don't realize it right at first, but it's all throughout. Their appetizers, they're, they're choosing one thing, and it's um, make an exploration dictionary. They have to choose at least eight words related to exploration and make their own dictionary. Or they can write a letter from an explorer. They could make an exploration <coughs> timeline. They could list ten things that an explorer would need to take on a journey and why they would need it. Um, they could write a letter to the king and queen of a country asking for a charter. 
then they have to do their main dish, then they have to complete two side dishes, which would be things like um, at least five journal entries from an explorer, make a comic book that illustrates the journey of an explorer, write a rap or a song about one of the explorers. Those are fun. I, I was looking to see if I had a video of one of them, but I couldn't find one, because the kids do a really good job. Um, create a word search about one of the explorers, um, create a warning poster warning the Native Americans about the explorers that are coming, mm -hmm. um, create a map showing the routes of at least four explorers, and so they have to do, um, again, the main, an appetizer, and two of the sides, and then on the back, I don't have a picture of it, but I have uh, the dessert, and it's extra credit, where it, it is higher level thinking, where they have to um, evaluate whether an explorer was good or bad, and that's always fun, even just to have class conversations, a lot of things social studies will relate to things biblically, ethically, that we can talk about, you know, Columbus discovered all this new land and made better maps and did all this really good things, but he took the Native Americans as slaves, so how do we feel about Christopher Columbus and, and even an opportunity to talk about we all make bad choices and uh, and so it's some really good conversations that can be had, or even um, when I think about teaching about some of the Native American groups and their religions and having conversations um, about that with the kids, and they want to know, you know, well, if that's what they believed, and even that can turn into a, a gospel conversation about the power of sharing the gospel now and the importance of it. Um, when it comes to geography, here's a project that I did, again, when I taught in Virginia, that they had to use different materials to mimic different parts of the state, so different landforms. So that was one way that they could um, show exactly what they were learning about the geography of their state. Um, projects that display, so the Plains Native Americans, and they're able to display what they know about um, their houses and the environment that they lived in. <clears throat> so um, this is a project I'm retiring and I'll tell you about that. So I've been teaching um, the last few years in fifth grade Native Americans and then I'd have them do this mask project and they loved it. And so they'd have to design their mask to represent a certain region of Native Americans. So as you can tell, the left, it's Eastern Woodlands. He's got like a skunk on there and um, so different things. And over here, the Arctic. Well, then I got a phone call from a parent. But this goes back to the experts. I wish I would have known this. Um, he Turns out he did his graduate studies in Native American religions. And that masks, I mean, I do think I may have read this somewhere. When the Native Americans put on the mask, they were invoking the spirits. So I thought, well, I'm not going to do this project anymore. But... Um, but I can do a similar project that it still involves them creating something that shows what they know about a particular region. And it will only be a couple years that I'll have to deal with the kids who are like, what are we doing those masks? <laughs> um, here's one um, that a sixth grade class did creating um, Egyptian masks. <laughs> that is pretty fun, especially this school that I taught at, we didn't have an art teacher. So when you can incorporate art into those kinds of things, if you don't, if you're the one teaching art, then that is an easy way to do that as well. Um, my state report project I give every year. I am very particular about what needs to go on. I do the state float project because I did that in fifth grade and I had fun. So I 
recreated that for my fifth graders. And I require them to put a certain amount of things on their state floats. And so you can see there's Florida on the left there, Wyoming over here. They have different things that represent um, their state. And they do an oral presentation in class or they can uh, <coughs> record it. And then we tell all the other classes in our school, we're doing a parade, please come out. They line the halls, all these little kids cheering for our fifth graders walking through. It's, it's fun and a good way to celebrate what they've learned about the states. Missouri on the left, Texas on the right, and then rubrics. Rubrics are very important when you're doing projects, especially to give them to them ahead of time so that they know exactly where they're aiming. Um, but it is, it's, it's quite fun. Here's another way I've done state projects where they had to create a timeline in the middle and then they had to come up with on the sides um, important people that came from their state or important um, places and landmarks in their states. And then you'll see kind of here even there's like Nutella and something because that's again where I ask them to bring a taste of the state. Um, and that's why I always emphasize, think Costco. When you go to Costco, you just get a little bit. I still will have parents who send in like a giant crock pot with, like, well, don't pack lunch those days. <laughs> um, this is a similar project to the state project. This is a decade project. So um, there was one year when I had to teach, um, I think it was when I was in California, and I had to teach like all the way up until 1980 or something. And it was like, how on earth am I going to cover all of these specific things and then? And so I just gave each kid a specific decade. And they had to research it. So again, they had to create a timeline in the middle, important people from that decade, um, music from that decade. And then they had to give a presentation about it. Um, here is, I don't think you're going to be able to hear him. But this was a student who did um, 1900 decade. Benefit of living in DC, he got to go to the Air and Space Museum and record his his project. Yeah. Um, students do things that are hand-on, never underestimate the power of Play-Doh or clay when they are doing something, um, ancient civilizations, Native American groups, different things that have to do with how they kept records in writing. Those kinds of manipulatives are always good. Here is um, a Mesopotamia A to Z. I, I always like being able to do alphabet books. And so in this particular instance, each student, I think there were 13 kids in that class, were assigned um, a letter of the alphabet and something they had to research about Mesopotamia that began with that letter. And so then they were able to create this display in the hallway. It's just construction paper that's hanging down there, but it's how they cut it that created the, uh, the levels of all of their pyramids and buildings. 100 facts about ancient China. So even challenging students to come up with and find and research, so research skills to be able to create a display. Review games are fun. Um, this again is where my Facebook group comes in. I saw the other day somebody posted a review game that they did with their class and I was like, that's perfect. 
So I adapted it because we've been doing Explorers. I created my groups in my classroom of three to four students each. I said, send one representative to the whiteboard. So they did. And here they think they're going to be answering a question related to social studies. And I set my timer. I said, you have one minute to draw a ship. Go. So they drew their ships, and then I sent them back to their desk. And each student had a whiteboard. So one of the things that, um, back to that book I read, The Wild Card, um, really emphasizes is when you're playing a game with the class, every child should be answering every question and involved in some way. So gone are the days where you're only getting through four questions in 10 minutes and kids are waiting turns. Everybody should be answering. And so everyone participates. I would ask a question and they would have to write it on their whiteboard for accountability. And then I would randomly pick a group. And I kept tally so I knew how many times I had called on each one, but I would call on them in random orders. And if they answered the question right, they got to attack another, they got to attack two other ships. And to attack them, they would just put a little X on it. And the ship was destroyed after 10 attacks. <laughs> and if they got their answer wrong, they had to attack their own ship once. And so um, competition, it just, you know, and every once in a while a kid will say, what do I get? What do we win? When you play basketball with your buddies after school, do you win something? No. Do you still want to win? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and every once in a while they'll ask, but a lot of times they don't even ask because they just think it's fun to play. And, um, you know, every once in a while you'll have a group that's like, our ship's being attacked by everyone! <laughs> but then once their ship's gone, they're still in it. They can exact revenge on everyone else. So you don't have kids that suddenly aren't doing the review anymore. Um, Plickers, if you're not familiar with those, if you go to plickers.com, it's just a set of cards that you print out. And you can do A and B, or A, B, C, D, true or false with those. And each child has one that is associated with, say, a class number. Um, and then you display the question, and they turn it to A, B, C, or D. And they all look different, so they can't cheat off of each other. And you use your phone, and it scans the room really fast, and then displays a chart of how many. It doesn't say which students, but you can see that on your phone or on your device later. Um, this is a way that I like to give quizzes every now and again, and the kids think it's fun, and it's a worksheet, really. It's just a glorified worksheet, um, but it's a different way of doing it, so clickers. Uh, oh, and the other thing, Scoot, if you've scoot with task cards that's another way that if you have something that really truly you want them to practice just question and answer facts about something that is a great way because they think it's great to get up and out of their seats and moving around um, this last interactive thing that I was going to show you is probe journals um, I'm not super familiar with this my friend Lauren was supposed to come and like give her little spiel at this point but she couldn't come She's really the expert on these, but I'm working on them. It's a way for students to show what they know. So you give them a rubric, um, a topic, the title, benchmark, vocabulary that they need to include. So, um, so this says borders. Make a one-inch border around the edges of both pages. Decorate the border with images related to your topic. So um, then vocabulary. You must include at least five vocabulary words from the textbook in your probe. Illustration, include a detailed picture of an explorer. 
One, define the word conquistador. Two, who is Christopher Columbus, Cabeza de, Va de, Va de Vaca, uh, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. And so they have to do these things and they have to cite their sources. So you can't see it, but they had to cite their text page number in there. So now you're working on research skills as well. And there can be no white background. They have to color it all in, side to side, cover to cover. And, um, and to see these when they're all done, when they have a notebook full of them, is pretty cool where it's all of their learning about a certain topic. And it's, this is a really great way to differentiate because the kids who just need to hit the basics, they can see on your list, well, what do I have to do to satisfy the requirements? But you also have higher level thinkers who are going to include a lot more detail or other pictures or other bits of knowledge. And so it is a good way to differentiate um, what they're learning. But if you Google probe journals, and there's another, well, if you Google that, you'll find the other, there's something else that they're called sometimes. Um, but I haven't seen them very often, but it is pretty cool. Oh, here are some other ones, examples of probes that were done. So, um, any questions about anything? Or suggestions where you're sitting here thinking, oh, I do this, and other people should know about it? Yes? Um, I, I, I teach fifth or eighth grade. So I'm always uh, walking the line of reading the textbook and doing yes. projects. So it's, um, most of the time, they have to read their textbook first and learn about it, and mm -hmm. then they can do the project. Because mm -hmm. I'm trying to prepare them for high school, you know, and sometimes I always do. We did a Need Explorers project that I made up. I teach language arts, too. So they did a research paper on their explorer, but then they had to make a box and turn it into a trunk. And I made all the stuff that they could make it a trunk. And then they had to fill it with the things that they had to bring along with them or that they brought back with them. And then they told their entire class. And they also had to come up with a meme from their explorer. So they had to do that. Yeah, that is. But yes? Yeah. We're doing the explore simulation you were talking about right now. And I think it's a good chance for the kids to learn responsibility because when you have some groups that choose going to Spain and some that go to Portugal, and now you have to go work with the Portugal groups and these kids who are doing Spain are on their own. Um, I tell my kids, you know, if, you're, if your group can't handle working on your own without me right there watching you, if you're getting too out of control, you know, someone in your ship's going to get sick, or one of you is going to, you know, die of scurvy, and they don't want that consequence, but it's kind of an opportunity to teach them, how can I be responsible for myself and my group when the teacher is not there watching all of us? Yes. Um, and then I also did the class preamble together, and they have all the kids sign it. And then if you're having behavior issues, you know, take that out again and say, we all signed this at the beginning of the year. Why are we having a problem with this one thing? Um, and just remind them of that. Yes? I have my kids. I wrote a, a reader's theater type thing for uh, the state of Wisconsin. And so we do kind of a choral reading type thing for the parents where the kids dress up, they've done their report on some person in Wisconsin. And, um, that was a fun, that's a fun way. 
uh, get parents to get involved and have the kids uh, for a week and be here Yes? I make a timeline of all these different ancient civilizations, but I also have the biblical timeline in the middle. Yes. So as we go and we build them on yes. top, we can refer to how it all comes together. Mm -hmm. I just have a question for you. Yeah. Do you have any, because I do some like jigsaw research, different projects, do you have any like, websites or books or certain places that you direct your kids? Because that's sometimes what I struggle with finding like the reliable and good and other level resources. Yes, sometimes I just find pages yeah. ahead of That's time too, yeah. and then give them that website where I use even like I did, oh I didn't, the bit.ly link didn't pop back up. Um, the, even just to create a bit.ly link where they can, you know, get to it a lot faster. Um, but some of it, I mean, now that I'm teaching fifth grade, some of that is the research skills and how to find reliable things, but you're right, it is hard yeah. sometimes to say you have to yeah. weed through, or kids will find a really long encyclopedia article and be like, it says nothing. Yeah, it says everything, but you have to actually read it. Um, so I don't have an easy answer other than that sometimes if it's something like that, you know, when we do our King's Project in Bible, I just find things ahead of time and copy it on the back of paper for them because I don't want to spend all that time. All right, well, thanks for coming. Enjoy your lunch.